Well, it's great to be together again. You know, I love our staff, our whole staff. I just think Kurt has too much fun. I'd say I want his job, but I couldn't do it. And so uh, he just does such a great job. Uh, Carolyn and I have had a much better week. You'll be interested to know. It wasn't a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week. And uh, uh, we've had some very nice and good things happen to us this week. I won't bore you with all of that, but we're, we've had a great week. We're still figuring out things and, and all of that. That'll go on for a while. I suspect one of these days I'm going to find out I, I bought a house in Delhi. I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> uh, also this is May 1st. May 1st, two years ago, was my first day at work at Northwest Hills. And um, I remember saying to you, it wasn't a Sunday, but that first Sunday, I remember saying to you, uh, we are honored and humbled and um, we are still honored and a little more humbled, and uh, we're delighted to be here, and I assure you that I feel confident that this is God's job for me right now, and I'm very pleased to be here. I think that uh, sometimes um, pastors and ministers tend to want to make sure that they are right with God before they step up to do the job, and That, of course, is always my heart. I was reading not long ago from Leonard Ravenhill, who said, A man who is intimate with God will not be intimidated by man. Remember, last week we talked about the Apostle Paul going to Arabia for three years and thinking through this whole thing that happened to him on the road to Damascus, putting the theology of the New Testament together with the theology of the Old Testament and gathering up strength to accomplish the the job that God had for him. And I, I looked for a place that would be able to identify a little bit about what the Apostle Paul was up against. And I found that with John Stott when he said this, The bane of Paul's life and ministry was the insidious activity of false teachers. Wherever he went, they dogged his footsteps. No sooner had he planted the gospel in some locality than false teachers began to trouble the church and pervert it. That is, perverting the gospel. In in order to discredit Paul, remember that? They didn't want him to have credibility with the people and also challenging his authority. Remember that? They said, this guy's not an apostle. That's why the apostle Paul defends his apostleship and shows that it's straight from the resurrected Christ. Um, Elmer Davis, in one of his books, says, 
this speaking of America, says this will remain the land of the free as long as it is the home of the brave. And that's where the Apostle Paul is with the gospel of Christ. He is ready to fight. He is ready to put it all on the line in order to communicate the truth of the gospel as he understood it. So let's take a look at our outline. Beginning with uh, number one, we are saying Paul's second visit to Jerusalem. Now remember that Paul went up to Jerusalem, we are told in the previous text, he wanted to meet Peter and he wanted to meet John. He wanted to meet James. And so he went up to Jerusalem and the text says he spent 14 days with Peter. And now he's going to go to Jerusalem a second time. This is for what we refer to as the Jerusalem Council. In your questions for your community groups this week, I've asked you to read the 15th chapter of Acts. And that chapter is going to communicate all the information about this very important council in Jerusalem. A lot of things were decided in early Christianity by councils. Certain things had to be settled. Certain truths had to be settled. Certain books had to be decided that they would go into the Bible. So there were councils to do that, and godly men came together to accomplish that. So let's look at the text. Then after an interval of 14 years, that's 14 years, I believe, from Paul's first visit to Jerusalem, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. You might want to circle those words, taking Titus along also. They become very important later. And it was because of a revelation, that's the word that we talked about uh, last week, uh, apocalypsis, it's the word that the English language stole from the Greek language and put a lot of meanings on it that the Greek language really doesn't put on it. It means to reveal or it means revelation. So Paul got a revelation from God that he should go to Jerusalem that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel. The word submitted is a, mean, is a word which means to declare or communicate. So that means that Paul may well have been challenged about the gospel that he preached, and they are asking him to articulate that. I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Preach, literally translated, should be that I am preaching among the Gentiles. It's a present active indicative. It has the idea of progression to it. So Paul is constantly, progressively preaching this gospel. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation. Circle the words, of reputation. The Apostle Paul is entering into a group of people 
who were highly respected by the church in Jerusalem and the church as a whole. For fear that I might be running or had run in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So the Apostle Paul here is saying, I went up to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. Uh, In other words, Paul's first fight for Christian liberty was in the Jerusalem Council. It was here that Paul stood up and declared the gospel of grace plus nothing. Let's get that understood. Paul is preaching a gospel that says, you are saved by the grace of God, the shed blood of Jesus, and there's nothing you do or could do in order to add to that sacrifice. There's nothing you could do to help yourself get saved. Paul's second fight will come in our next passage two weeks from today when he goes head-to-head with the Apostle Peter. And uh, Paul here is telling us that this is a major fight at the church in Jerusalem. We'll define that. Let's take a look at his companions. They were Barnabas. They were Timothy. Barnabas was, of course, one of Paul's closest friends. Barnabas was responsible for kind of introducing Paul into the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 9. Uh, his name means son of encouragement. And wherever you find Barnabas, you find him encouraging someone. In fact, the Apostle Paul used Barnabas to go to some of the more difficult churches to be an encouragement to them. Um, you find that in Acts chapter 11. Accordingly, uh, Barnabas went with Paul on his first missionary journey. And Barnabas was the one who was responsible for reuniting Paul and John Mark after John Mark's falling out with Paul after leaving uh, the ministry. So uh, Barnabas becomes very important as a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul and a dear, dear friend to the Apostle Paul. Timothy is a... I'm sorry, Titus. Yeah, thank you, honey. You you keep me on the straight and narrow. Titus is a Gentile believer. And when Paul says, we took Titus with us also, what he is saying is that I am taking Titus to the Jerusalem council whose purpose is is to determine whether or not a person has to be circumcised to be saved. Whether or not he has to obey Old Testament law in order to be saved. And he takes Titus as exhibit A of a Gentile who came to Christ and shows every evidence 
that he was born again. You only had to look at Titus one time to determine that he was a Christian. He assisted Paul in the ministry in several places. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You see that in Titus chapter 1. But Titus and the Jerusalem Council are very, very important. Let's take a look at Paul's communication. His communication was the gospel of grace on one or more separate conferences. So Paul went up to the Jerusalem Council, and this is what I picture. I picture some of those who were of reputation coming to Paul and saying, we're getting a lot of complaints about the message you're preaching. So I want you to meet me in my hotel room at 7 o'clock. You know, whenever you go to a Christian conference, you're in a hotel. And uh, I want you to meet me there, and I want you to tell me about this message that you're preaching. And that's why Paul says, I submitted it, meaning I communicated it, I, I laid it down, and I did it sometimes privately with one or a few people in order to clarify the message that I was preaching. Now, we're not told, but we know that when Paul communicated the message he was preaching of grace plus nothing, it was agreed to by Peter, and it was agreed to by James, and it was agreed to by uh, John. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, you will find James, uh, the, uh, the chief elder at the church in Jerusalem, coming out and laying down the law and saying, let's make it clear once and for all, you do not have to be circumcised to be saved. And that was the end of it. Listen, the Jerusalem council becomes incredibly important. Out of all of the councils that were held in the first, in the early church, this may have been the most important. If it weren't for the Jerusalem council, you and I would be part of some sort of modified Judaism that resulted in our having to live like Jews. Uh, you know what Gentiles are. Gentiles are anybody who's a Jew. Doesn't matter where you were born, who isn't a Jew. It doesn't matter where you were born. Boy, I must be getting old. Uh, last week in the first service, I had Paul writing the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Many years ago, I was sharing, and I was young then, I was talking about somebody who was being castigated, and I was flying low. And there were people in the congregation doing what you're doing. And I it never hit me. I never knew it. Till I came down off the platform and Carolyn said, Do you know what you said? <laughs> if it were not for the Jerusalem Council, 
we would look like Jews. We would be worshiping through ceremonies that the Jews did. And, and circumcision would be the sign of the new covenant, not baptism, the sign of the new covenant. And the, the apostle James came out once and for all and said, this is ended. You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So Paul is communicating his message. Let's look at Paul's stand against the legalists. Follow along what he says here. But it was because of the false brethren. Circle false brethren. It's the Greek word uh, pseudo-adelphos. You've heard of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The, the, the city of brotherly love. Adelphos means brother in Greek. And pseudo means false. So these were false brothers who had sneaked in to spy. Circle the word spy. Remember our word scopos? That's the word he uses. The word we get our English word scope from. To draw something distant close so you can see it clearly. These guys snuck in the back door and they they came in, manipulated their way in so that they could take a look and see what these people in here are doing. So they snuck in in order to spy out the liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage, bondage, circle bondage. It's the same word the Apostle Paul uses, doulos, every time he opens a book and says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So he, these guys wanted them to be bondservants of legalism, of earning your salvation, not salvation by grace. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. So let's talk about Paul's critics. They were a group of unsaved Jews who clung to salvation by works. And uh, I, I need to explain to you what these people believed. These were Jews. And after much convincing, they accepted the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's a big step for a Jew to take, to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. But what they didn't accept is that salvation came through his shed blood on the cross. They saw his Messiahship in a more political sense than in a spiritual sense. And as a result, uh, they, they took the Old Testament truth about Messiah. They said, yes, he's Messiah. But they didn't accept the Old Testament truth about the entire sacrificial system and tie that to the sacrificial shed blood of Jesus for their salvation. So they said, yes, he's a Messiah, but we still have to do all this stuff that we did in the Old Testament in order to be saved. Those were his critics. And they stood up in the conference and wanted to have Titus 
uh, uh, circumcised. And uh, they came in the back door. They infiltrated into the conference. They didn't accept the blood of Christ. And I want you to see Paul's conduct. Because Paul's conduct was that he refused to be intimidated. We're going to talk about that in a minute because it was very difficult for him. He didn't, he refused to be overawed in this grave crisis in Christianity. Somehow the Apostle Paul knew, maybe by the Spirit of God, that this was the, the straw that could break the camel's back in Christianity as we know it in the 21st century. Somehow the Apostle Paul knew that if they got their way here, all of Gentile Christianity would look different. In fact, it wouldn't be Christianity at all. We'd be doing something that could never get us saved. This would have been a modified system of legalistic Judaism that was not based on pure grace. See, Paul refers to this numerous times. He talks about the yoke of bondage in Galatians 5.1. He talks about liberty and bondage in Galatians 3 and 4 and 5 and, and, through, and, and uh, 2 as well. And as a result, the, and, and Peter also talks about this in Acts chapter 15. The whole idea of circumcision in the New Testament, for the New Testament believer, is condemned all through the New Testament. Let's take a look at Paul's concern. Paul's concern was the truth of the gospel. Was the truth of the gospel not the peace of the church? It was the truth of the gospel, not the peace of the church. You know what I... You know what you know what that means that means the idea of peace at any cost was not Paul's philosophy and it shouldn't be ours either See ever since the time of the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 they have been coming to us telling us you have to do something else to get saved They've been doing that from the very beginning, they told us you have to do good works. They tell us you have to keep the Ten Commandments. They tell us, some tell us, no, you have to be baptized in order to get saved. Some tell us you have to have church membership to get saved. Some tell us there are other religious rituals that you have to go through to get saved. Some tell us you have to keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. And the Apostle Paul is saying that is wrong. All of it from the Jerusalem Council to May 1st, 2016. It's always wrong. Otherwise, we end up with a work salvation. And anybody who can make that will really be an anomaly. The fact is, you cannot save yourself. And I can't save myself. Only the blood of Jesus Christ by God's grace plus nothing can save us. 
Remember, I've told you the word believe is used 93 times in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the book of the Gospel in the New Testament. And so the Apostle Paul will not allow peace to overcome the truth of Scripture. And we shouldn't either. So let's take a look at Paul's second visit. I'm sorry, at Paul's standing with the Jerusalem leaders. Now, I want to try to give you a feel for what Paul is saying here. So follow along while I read this. He said, But from those who were of high reputation... Uh, and what they were makes no difference to me. God is no respecter of persons. So he's talking about people who were highly respected by the church. This is mealy little, a mealy little Paul, a Jewish rabbi brought into the presence of James and Peter and John. Peter and John at least who walked with Jesus for three years and was taught by him. I mean, these guys are somebody. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, anyway, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. See that? They They didn't change my mind about anything. Actually, They no doubt agreed with his preaching of the gospel. But on the contrary, he says, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, that is the Jews, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also To the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, God blessed Peter's ministry and God blessed my ministry as well. To the Jews and to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, that is Peter, and John, who were reputed as pillars. We often say, you often hear about the great pillars of the church. Uh, I go into a church and they say, we got some wonderful old pillars in the church. I usually say, yeah, those are the people that hold up the works. Uh, uh, He calls them the great pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That word fellowship is our word koinonia. Remember, you hear a lot of Sunday school classes that are called koinonia class because they have such good fellowship. And uh, that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or the Jews. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. And as a result, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I went into the lion's den. I went into this group of people who were of high reputation. That'd be like putting Rich Hagenbaugh with Chuck Swindoll, Billy Graham, and Charles Stanley. 
Would I be apprehensive? Yeah, my knees would be knocking. That's where Paul was with these kind of guys. I will never forget. I took an oral for my master's. I took an oral for my doctoral degree. The oral for my doctoral degree took four and a half hours. And I had to defend my dissertation. That's what Paul was doing. See, when I walked into that room, there sat Dr. Stanley Ellison and Dr. W. Robert Cook. You know what? I don't remember who else was in the room to this day because those two men were highly respected in the Christian community. And, uh, and they grilled me for four and a half hours. And uh, was I apprehended? Remember the first time I came here, I said I've been hearing about Northwest Hills Community Church for years. And I thought to myself, would I ever be able to preach there one day? And lo and behold, here I stood. And uh, kind of my knees were knocking. That's where Paul finds himself. And he says, uh, he shows his commitment, first of all. Look at Paul's commitment to the ministry. God is no respecter of persons and shows no partiality. In other words, uh, leaders of high position and Paul's commission all went together. And then there is Paul's contribution to the ministry. God calls people to different ministries in different places. Um, Yet we all preach the same gospel. Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles, but the same gospel is being preached to both areas. And God puts his blessing upon both of them. And then Paul's commendation to uh, the ministry. Um, I remember when... Uh, I first became a member of a Baptist church. They stand you up front. They would stand you up front and all the deacons would walk by and they would give you the right hand of fellowship. And the right hand of fellowship uh, uh, indicated a partnership in the preaching of the saving gospel. So whenever we would receive the right hand of fellowship in church, it meant we are becoming a member and we are partnering with this church to reach its community. So where does all of that leave us? Here's the first thing I would say. First of all, Paul respected authority. Paul respected authority. And what do I mean by that? This is very important. It is possible to be determined in your message to authority and be courteous at the same time. Do you hear that? It is possible to be determined in your message to those of high repute and be courteous at the same time. You don't have to dishonor Christ in the process. Here's the second thing. Paul refused to be intimidated. Paul refused to be intimidated. And here's what I take away from that. It is possible to be courteous and inflexible about truth at the same time. 
You know, when I came out of seminary, I was ready to die on every anthill. But as I've gotten older, uh, not as old as Don Snow, but as I've gotten older, uh, there are fewer and fewer mountains that I'm willing to die on. Um, But on those mountains, I will die. But I will die happy and I will die courteously. So it is possible to be courteous and inflexible on points of doctrine at the same time. Here's the next thing. Paul was conscious of his God-given task. From Paul's life and my personal experience, I have learned that when you, when a man becomes convinced that he has a God-given task, God will give him the power and the strength to accomplish that task. You know, Paul went to the Gentiles. Peter went to the Jews. Where does God have you? God has Carolyn and me in a little manufactured home park. And he wants us to be a witness there. He wants us to communicate the gospel there. He wants us to communicate truth there. Where has he got you? In a job, in a home. Uh, And when God gives you a God-given task, you can be certain. You don't have to lay awake at night and worry about it. God will give you the power to accomplish that task. Search team, listen to me. God has given to you a God-given task. Elders, listen to me. God has given to you a God-given job. His hand is on you. He will give you everything you need to do the job. The Apostle Paul knew that. Here's the next thing I would say. Every member in God's family is important. See, God considers you so important that he would send his son to die for you. Should I think any less of you, any one of you, who should we not let in? Anybody want to tell me, who should we not let in? Should we, uh, should we not let sinners in? No, we'd have to clear the room, wouldn't we? Because none of us would qualify. Every one of us is loved by God so much that God would die for us. Have you ever thought about whether or not you'd die for the person sitting next to you? You know, if there's anything we as a church need at this stage in our history... It's that we need to be knit together. Every one of us needs each other. 
Everyone is gifted and called to reach a certain segment. Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews, and you and me have already mentioned it, to wherever God has placed us. Ask yourself, where has God planted me? The second question is, ask yourself, am I growing there? And finally, everyone needs acceptance and affirmation. Everyone needs acceptance and affirmation. Who has made a contribution in your life? Maybe today you want to go home and call a junior high teacher or a high school teacher or a youth group leader from your past and say, you know, I was just thinking today about a contribution you made to my life, and I want to say thank you. Everybody needs affirmation. Uh, When you pat somebody on the back, and that's another thing we can do with one another here in the body, your your community group leader, uh, uh, Pastor Kurt, go up to him and say, man, you have a sanctified imagination. God has blessed you. Use it for God. All of that to say, God has given us salvation by His grace plus nothing. And how do we get it? Through this little communion service we're going to share, remembering the blood of Jesus and His crucifixion for us and our salvation through that and that alone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Melt us together. Keep us fixed fixed on the truth of grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his shed blood as we remember it this morning. We pray, Father, that you will draw us into your presence. Speak into our lives. Remind us of someone we need to walk up to and hug. Not just shake their hand, but hug and say thank you. Today, Father, we are thankful that you are a good, good Father. That's who you are. And you have loved us. That's who we are. And that truth thrills us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.